Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Sexual assault of a child. Listener discretion is advised. And with all that said, let's get right to it. Last week, we left off with a bombshell announcement by District Attorney Raul Torres at a press conference held June 29, 2018. The DA announced that they believe Victoria Martin's mother, Michelle Martins, had lied in her initial confession about witnessing the sexual assault and murder of her daughter. And not just lied about a few minor details. We're talking Casey Anthony level of lies here. She and her boyfriend, Fabian Gonzalez, weren't even in the apartment at the time Victoria was murdered, and the state had concrete evidence to prove that in the form of cell phone data that placed them miles away from the apartment at the time Victoria had been murdered. And further, DNA evidence found on Victoria's body excluded Fabian Gonzalez and implicated a fourth unidentified male suspect. The same day that press conference was held, Michelle Martins took a deal. According to KRQE News 13, the prosecution believed Michelle Martins had never taken part in the murder of 10-year-old Victoria, stating, Michelle's crime was allowing her boyfriend's cousin, Jessica Kelly, a convicted rapist and drug dealer, to watch over Victoria, and that she was warned she should remove Kelly from her home due to her unstable behavior. But she ignored those warnings and allowed Jessica Kelly to remain in her apartment. And further, she had even asked Jessica to pick Victoria up from the bus stop after school on the day she was murdered. And even after Michelle Martins got home hours later and saw that Jessica Kelly was high on meth, she left Victoria in her care so she and her boy toy Fabian could go score some more weed. While Martins and Gonzalez were out of the apartment, Jessica Kelly and at least one other unknown person had raped and strangled Victoria. According to court documents, Michelle pled guilty to one count of reckless child abuse resulting in death, a charge that had a maximum 18-year prison sentence. However, Michelle would only be facing between 12 to 15 years in prison, 
because the state had agreed to knock off several years in exchange for her testimony against Fabian Gonzalez and his cousin Jessica Kelly. Martins would be sentenced after she upheld her end of the deal. The community was shocked and many outraged at Michelle's deal, as well as the murder and rape charges being dropped against Fabian Gonzalez. It just didn't make any sense at the time. Why would a mother make up a horrific story about witnessing the rape and murder of her daughter? And what motive did Jessica Kelly have to take part in the murder of an innocent child? And who in the hell was this mystery John Doe, and how had he ended up in the apartment? As you can imagine, this community, which had been so affected by Victoria's murder, demanded answers. What had led the DA to drop these charges down and make this deal? District Attorney Torres had laid out much of the evidence during that press conference. However, the community demanded more. So a timeline was released to the press of exactly what the state believed happened leading up to Victoria's murder. The timeline released by the DA's office was the bare-bones version of events. For clarity purposes, I'm going to combine the initial timeline released by the DA with a timeline built by KOAT Action News, who reported on every detail of the case and poured over court documents to put together one hell of a story. As we know from last week, Michelle Martins met Fabian Gonzalez on Plenty of Fish in July of 2016, and she moved him into her apartment with her two children quickly. He was living there less than a month after they met. Of course, he wasn't exactly an outstanding citizen and reportedly used drugs heavily, so he encouraged Michelle to hide their relationship from her parents, who played a huge role in Michelle and the children's lives. You know that old saying about laying with dogs and getting fleas? Well, in this case, Fabian Gonzalez began taking other drug users and criminals to Michelle's apartment when she wasn't home. On August 15th of 2016, his cousin and frequent flyer of the New Mexico DOC, Jessica Kelly, was released from a stint in prison. Shortly after Jessica's release, the cousins reunited. There's another saying about dogs. You know the one, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Jessica Kelly and Fabian Gonzalez began using meth together. And soon, Michelle introduced the pair to then nine-year-old Victoria Martins. This all reportedly occurred on August 17th at around 10 p.m. The very next day, on August 18th, Fabian Gonzalez invited cousin Jessica to move into the apartment. Not his apartment, but his girlfriend Michelle's. And he was charging his cousin $50 in rent, a deal that Michelle was completely unaware of. Michelle Martins likely just thought Jessica Kelly was crashing over a few nights after being released from prison, which was bad enough. But her freeloader of a boyfriend was making whole-ass rental agreements behind her back. Less than a week later, Victoria would be murdered. Fast forward a couple days to August 21st, when Jessica Kelly's family held a barbecue in honor of her release from prison. Fabian Gonzalez attended this release from prison celebration party, but apparently there must have been some type of family drama because he was asked to leave by another female cousin who claimed he had stole from her in the past. 
Fabian hadn't gotten his fill of baked beans and barbecue, so he refused to leave. A fight broke out between Fabian and the female cousin and another person, which resulted in Fabian getting punched in the face, leaving him with a shiner that could be spotted from Google Earth. You simply cannot make this shit up, folks. While we're on the subject of Fabian's black eye, initially the media reported that the black eye was caused by Jessica Kelly after she had attacked Michelle Martins and Fabian Gonzalez after Victoria had been murdered. Remember Fabian's whole initial story about eating tacos, Jessica talking crazy about Jesus, and then attacking the couple with an iron as they slept. Well, Fabian did have a small laceration above his eye when police arrived, and Michelle Martins was bleeding from her face. But while Michelle Martin's injuries appeared to be fresh, Fabian's eye looked like it was already a few days into the healing process. If you want to check it out for yourself, I'll be sure to post the booking photos on my social media accounts. Back to the story. After the brawl at the barbecue, Fabian called his brother and drove over to his place. When he had plenty of backup, he then called the female cousin and threatened to bring his brothers back to the location of the barbecue to finish the fight he couldn't win on his own. Threats were sent back and forth over text message between the two parties. The threats were enough that a man at the barbecue sat in front of the house with a gun, seemingly in case Fabian Gonzalez and his brother showed up. As it turns out, according to state documents obtained by KOAT News, Fabian Gonzalez's brothers are founding members of an Albuquerque street gang and Fabian himself is or was a member. What gang exactly? I'm so glad you asked. It's known as TCK, which stands for Thugs Causing Chaos. Chaos being spelled with a K. I'm guessing because TCC doesn't have the same ring and is already taken by multiple community colleges. The name would be laughable if it weren't for the fact that these dirtbags have a history of killing children and police officers. I normally wouldn't waste my time talking about shit stains such as these, but with Fabian Gonzalez's affiliation and what would later be revealed in court testimony, we're going to talk about it. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. According again to KOAT, thugs causing chaos started out as a graffiti gang, but then things turned violent. In April of 2003, police say four members were responsible for the shooting deaths of teenager Lorenzo Lamone and Jonathan Luris at Pat Hurley Park over a gold chain that the gang members claimed the victims stole from them. After the double murder, a war broke out between TCK and another gang, the West Side Locos. In 2007, several thugs causing chaos were linked to the murder of 19-year-old Vincent Espinoza, who, according to Fox News, 
was beaten and shot in the stomach by Jose Sullivan. Vincent didn't die instantly, and instead of taking him to a hospital, Jose Sullivan and two other men took him to West Mesa, removed his shoes and rings, poured gasoline and alcohol over his body and into his mouth, and then set him on fire. Vincent Espinoza never got the justice he deserved, and murder charges against one of the men accused were later dropped due to officials not being able to locate an informant. But that's another story for another day. TCK gang members were also connected to the shooting of two 12-year-old girls celebrating at a birthday party at a Westside Park and two teenagers outside of an auto repair shop. The same year Victoria was murdered, a member of the group Andrew Romero was convicted of murdering Rio Rancho police officer Greg Benner during a traffic stop. It goes without saying, TCK was known for being violent. At the time of the fight at the prison release barbecue, Fabian and his brothers were still reportedly repping the chaos causing thugs. We all recognize just how stupid this all sounds, right? Just checking. Anyhow, neither of the two sides made good on any of their threats, at least not that night. However, hours after the argument, Fabian Gonzalez searched online for guns, and it seems that his girlfriend Michelle nursed his black eye. Records indicate that on the 22nd at 11.30 a.m., a search for what helps a black swollen eye was made from Michelle Martin's phone. At some point, Jessica Kelly and Fabian Gonzalez made a meth delivery to someone. The timeline doesn't state exactly who that was, but it does include the fact that Fabian tried to convince Michelle Martins to do a line of meth, but she refused. The following day was August 23, 2016, and Victoria Martin's 10th birthday. She took the bus to school to celebrate with her classmates, with plans for a party the following day. While Victoria was in school, Fabian went to get more drugs, reportedly from his uncle's house, at around 11.40 a.m. Michelle Martins went along with him. His uncle warned Fabian and Michelle that Jessica Kelly shouldn't be in the apartment with the children and that she was acting really weird. He told them that Jessica had given him an EBT card to use, but she didn't give him the PIN number he would need to use it because Jessica claimed that the devil told her not to give him the pin. Fabian and Michelle went back to her apartment for a brief time, but then left again around 2.30 p.m. to drink and get more drugs. At 2.33 p.m., Michelle texted a neighbor, asking her to knock on her apartment door, pretend to be her aunt, and make sure everything was okay. At this time, it appeared that only Jessica Kelly was inside the apartment. At 2.36 p.m., Michelle texted her mom and asked her to pick Victoria up from the bus stop after school. Her mother called a minute later at 2.37, but Michelle ignored the call. Fabian Gonzalez had told Michelle that Jessica should pick up Victoria from the bus stop. Michelle was skeptical, but Fabian told her to trust Jessica and that it was safe to leave Victoria with her. At 2.39 p.m., Michelle texted her mom, Never mind, I got it. Her mom texted her back and told her she had been trying to call. At around 3 p.m., Fabian and Michelle arrived at a man's residence where they stayed until 4.40 p.m., 
at some point making a trip to the liquor store and then coming back to the house. During this time, Michelle texted Jessica at 3.37 p.m. to remind her to get Victoria from the bus stop. At 4.08, Michelle texted Jessica again and asked whether she picked up Victoria, but Jessica didn't respond. Spoiler alert, she didn't. At 4.35 p.m., a neighbor texted Michelle that Victoria was trying to get a hold of her. At 4.45 p.m., Victoria went home to the apartment. Neighbors reportedly contacted Michelle again and told her that it looked like someone was in the apartment with her daughter. At 5.07, Fabian and Michelle returned. At around the same time, Victoria spoke to her grandparents over the phone and told them about her little party at school. Nothing about the phone call raised any alarm. At some point, Jessica Kelly gave Victoria $45 for her birthday. Records indicate that after Jessica gave Victoria the money, Fabian Gonzalez took the little girl in the bathroom, closed the door, and took the money from her. At 6.08 p.m., Fabian Gonzalez took Victoria to the gas station without her mother Michelle's permission and bought her a soda. At 6.09 p.m., Jessica Kelly's sister called her from prison. Jessica told her that she was, quote, tweaking and hallucinating. Jessica also stated that both God and her ex-boyfriend, who went by the name of Sinner, were sending her messages through her TV. Between 6.15 and 6.20, Fabian Gonzalez returned to the apartment with Victoria. Minutes later, at around 6.30 p.m., Fabian and Michelle left and headed to Fabian's brother's house in Paradise Hills to get some weed. At 7.02 p.m., the pair returned back to the apartment. Michelle went up the stairs to the doorway while Fabian waited in the car. Michelle was bringing Jessica cigarettes, but apparently she had brought back the wrong ones. And Jessica became angry and, according to the neighbors, threw the cigarettes and screamed at Michelle. Fabian and Michelle left, and Victoria was outside riding her scooter. At 7.05 p.m., Jessica Kelly and Victoria spoke with neighbors. It was an odd exchange, to say the very least. Jessica spoke over Victoria as she tried to speak about her birthday. Jessica told the two neighbors she gave Victoria $45 and then physically pulled the 10-year-old little girl into the apartment. That was the last time Victoria Martins was seen alive by anyone outside of that apartment. While all this was going down, Fabian was reportedly going to pick up an ounce of meth. At 7.32 p.m., Fabian's brother called him, so he and Michelle went back to his house in Paradise Hills and then several other destinations. According to the timeline released by the DA, by 7.38 p.m., Cell phone data showed that they were near Coors and Rio Bravo. At 7.59 p.m., the pair were spotted near Bridge and Five Points. It is believed that while these two were out on their merry drug-dealing excursion, Victoria Martins was murdered. Jessica Kelly had previously stated that she was scared someone was going to, quote, roll up on the apartment while Fabian was out and that she had seen a car with two people inside repeatedly drive past the apartment. And if her statement is to be believed, that's exactly what happened. She claimed that while Michelle and Fabian were out, 
a man entered the apartment stating he was looking for Favo, which, according to her, was Fabian's street name. This unidentified man then went into Victoria's room and killed her. Jessica said that the man told her that Fabian had fucked up and knew he had done so. Before he left, he told Jessica that she and Fabian needed to, quote, clean up the mess or she and her kids would be next. Investigators theorized that this could have had something to do with Fabian's ties to that chaos-causing thugs gang. And as we know, the DNA of an unidentified man had been found on Victoria's body. At 8.48 p.m., Fabian and Michelle returned to the apartment. Both were reportedly high, paranoid, and tweaked out, according to Jessica Kelly. They were sitting in Michelle's car in the parking lot, singing along to loud music. While they were playing tweaker car karaoke, Jessica carried Victoria's body down the stairs just outside the apartment. Her body was already wrapped in the blanket, and Jessica was cradling her as if she was sleeping. According to witnesses, she struggled to make it down the stairs and turned around and went back into the apartment. After a few moments, so did Fabian and Michelle. It appeared that nobody besides Jessica Kelly knew at this point that Victoria was already dead, and everyone assumed at that point that she was sleeping. Once back inside the apartment, at some point, according to Jessica Kelly, she and Fabian had a conversation without Michelle Martins, in which Jessica told Fabian that Victoria was dead. They made the decision not to tell Michelle and instead to conceal the murder, clean up the crime scene, and later to bury Victoria's body. But they'd have to keep Michelle distracted for this plan to work. So Fabian had her cook dinner, and then he, quote, put her to bed. According to what the DA now believed, it was Fabian and Jessica who then began to dismember Victoria's body and clean up the apartment, as Michelle was in the bedroom, possibly scrolling through her Facebook before drifting off to sleep. At around 1 a.m., Fabian and Jessica were spotted outside on the apartment's balcony, talking. Nobody knows exactly what was being said and only that Jessica was telling Fabian they should go inside, but he was refusing. At 4.15 a.m., a neighbor heard a man, presumed to be Fabian, yelling, Be quiet, you'll wake up the neighbors. Something between Fabian and Jessica had changed, and moments later, it's believed that Jessica attacked both Fabian and Michelle. Neighbors reported hearing bangs and screams. Fabian then ran to that neighbor's apartment, pounding on the door, frantically begging for someone to call 911. Michelle Martins was right behind him. At some point during the chaos, Michelle Martins stated to Fabian, she killed my daughter. Meanwhile, in Michelle's apartment, Jessica Kelly set fire to Victoria's body, removed smoke detectors from the apartment kitchen, and turned all the burners on on the stove in an attempt to burn it all down. Officers arrived at approximately 4.34 a.m., and well, we already know the rest. Michelle confessed to taking part in Victoria's murder while Fabian blamed Jessica and Jessica lawyered up. While it appears that Michelle Martins may have some sort of mental health issue that contributed to that false confession, Fabian Gonzalez and Jessica Kelly are just straight-up liars 
who tried to get away with the murder and dismemberment of a child by pointing the blame in a hundred different directions. Fabian Gonzalez initially denied even being related to his cousin Jessica Kelly and that he had ever been to the barbecue, but text messages, of course, told a different story. At one point, Fabian stated to police that Victoria died because, quote, they suffocated her, she suffocated her, and that he witnessed Jessica, quote, stabbing and hacking at Victoria with a knife. Jessica Kelly's story also changed multiple times. With all three suspects telling 17 different stories with five variations, it was very hard to decipher the truth, which is why District Attorney Torres had ordered the second investigation. And that timeline we just went over is the closest thing we have to the truth of what happened to Victoria Martins. Much of it comes from the cell phone data recovered by law enforcement. Many of the details of that timeline was released in the press in hopes that someone would come forward with information about who that fourth suspect could be whose DNA was found on Victoria's body. Seemingly, no one did. However, that didn't stop prosecutors from filing charges against the man referred to as John Doe in court documents. In a court proceeding that even the judge didn't know what to do with, According to KRQE News, since the state didn't know to whom or where to send the summons, they had filed a motion to publish ads in the paper as a way to let John Doe know the case against him was going forward. It was an outside-the-box attempt at locating the man they believed murdered Victoria. But it's highly unlikely that the murder of a child was going to step forward after reading an ad in the paper about his pending murder case. Like, oh shit, I better get down to the courthouse and face my charges. Solid effort, though. Except that it wouldn't happen because before the details of the newspaper ad could be worked out, the public defender's office pointed out with a quickness that they couldn't defend a client that they didn't know the identity of. The judge herself questioned how the court could move forward, stating, It's impossible for me to really work on this unless I have someone on the other side to argue and that can respond. That hearing ended with absolutely nothing getting accomplished. The judge never approved the state's motion to publish the ads. So the case against John Doe stalled. And that wasn't the end of awkward court proceedings in this case. In September of 2018, the district attorney's office announced that it had struck a deal with Jessica Kelly and her defense team, a deal that the murder charge would be dropped against her. And according to the Albuquerque Journal, Jessica Kelly would plead guilty to reckless child abuse resulting in death, as well as aggravated battery and tampering with evidence. She would face nearly 50 years in prison and agree to testify against Fabian Gonzalez as well as help the prosecution identify the John Doe. But that deal was thrown out not once, but twice, by Judge Charles Brown. According to the Albuquerque Journal, rather than allowing prosecutors to read their statements of fact, Judge Brown instead questioned Jessica Kelly herself, asking her, What happened that makes you guilty of recklessly causing or permitting something that resulted in the death of a child? Jessica Kelly responded, 
I let an unknown male come in, not knowing he was going to kill Victoria Martins. She went on to say that she had no indication he intended to hurt anyone and thought the man might have been Victoria's father or a friend of the family. And she had even directed him to the room where the child was sleeping, stating he did not look like a bad person. He was dressed well and he walked in like he knew the home. The prosecution attempted to argue that Jessica Kelly had engaged in conduct that showed reckless disregard for the safety and health of the child because she was fully aware that she was too intoxicated to care for any child and had been hallucinating and experiencing paranoid delusions all day. And that they had an 18-page document filed in the case detailing the days and moments leading up to and following Victoria's murder. But the judge found that there was insufficient evidence that Jessica Kelly was guilty of the most serious charge of reckless abuse resulting in death. The judge stated about Jessica and the John Doe, There is no indication she knew or should have known that the person intended to commit intentional murder. This was the same charge Michelle Martins had pled out to earlier, even though she wasn't in the apartment when the murder had taken place. Jessica Kelly sure was, but that was the court's ruling. If you're sitting there scratching your head trying to do the math, you're not alone. So was everyone else when this announcement was made. The district attorney filed a motion to reconsider, and that motion was to be heard two weeks after the judge dismissed the first plea agreement. Everyone gathered back in court. However, according to KRQE, in a court proceeding that lasted just minutes, instead of allowing the state to argue its case, Judge Brown denied the motion and then lectured prosecutors, stating, I could have ruled on this matter on the proceeding without a hearing. I didn't because I wanted to address a couple of factual misstatements in the state motion. The entire second hearing was nothing but a dog and pony show. The judge's mind was made up before the first bang of the gavel. The DA held another press conference expressing his concern with the court's ruling and how it affected Fabian Gonzalez's upcoming trial and the identification of the John Doe. It was revealed at that press conference that the state was confident that this John Doe had murdered Victoria Martins due to where his DNA had been found on her body. According to D.A. Torres, this unidentified male's DNA had been found on Victoria's lower back, neck, and underneath her fingernails. One would think that making a match would be simple, with DNA found in multiple locations. But that DNA was only a partial sample. Partial profiles aren't entered into CODIS or any other DNA databanks. So even with all of this DNA being found, there's nothing in current technology to make a match unless investigators obtain information that leads them to a suspect to compare it to. The district attorney made it clear in that press conference that the main reason Jessica Kelly had been offered that plea deal was to help them identify that suspect and hold him accountable, and that the rejection of that deal further hindered their efforts to make an identification. Nonetheless, they would move forward with Jessica Kelly's prosecution. However, just before her trial was to begin, the prosecution made another announcement. 
they were officially dropping the rape charges against her. According to KOAT, on January 4, 2019, those charges were dropped due to the fact that expert forensic witnesses weren't going to be able to prove that Victoria was raped by Jessica Kelly. Days later, on January 7, 2019, everyone gathered back in the courtroom for jury selection and Jessica's trial. But instead, Jessica Kelly pled no contest to reckless abuse of a child resulting in death, aggravated assault, and multiple counts of tampering with evidence. A plea deal between Jessica Kelly and the prosecution had finally been reached. The plea was accepted by the same judge who had rejected the previous ones. The only difference? Jessica Kelly pled no contest instead of guilty. She was later sentenced to 50 years in prison by Judge Cindy Leos, with six years suspended, meaning she would serve a maximum of 44 years. With good behavior, she could wind up serving only a fraction of that time. On November 7, 2019, Judge Charles Brown shocked everyone again. He found that prosecutors failed to show that Fabian was a danger to the community and he was released from jail until his trial. A man that played a role in the murder and dismemberment of a 10-year-old child and had ties to a known gang and multiple prior convictions. A danger to the community? Nah, he was released without so much as an ankle monitor. Fabian was free to walk the streets from November of 2019 up until July of 2022. On July 11, 2022, the trial for Fabian Gonzalez began. He was facing charges of reckless abuse of a child resulting in death, tampering with evidence, and conspiracy to commit tampering with evidence. Fabian's trial lasted weeks, with uncooperative witnesses, Fabian contracting COVID-19, and the revelation that Jessica Kelly intended on murdering Michelle Martins and her own cousin, Fabian Gonzalez. You see, Jessica herself was the prosecution's star witness, and what she had to say was jaw-dropping. Here's Jessica on the stand admitting that Victoria Martins wasn't the only one who was supposed to be murdered that night. I cleaned up all the blood and I wrapped up her body and... What did you wrap her with? Um, a sheet from the closet. When I was getting the sheet from the closet, I seen an iron and I set it on the um, kitchen table for when I was done. I was going to kill Fabian and Michelle because I was afraid to come back to prison. I'm afraid of the whole situation and I knew if I didn't get rid of her body, the repercussions would have been bad. That was only one of the many bombshells revealed in that New Mexico courtroom. Join me next week, same time, same place, for the conclusion of Victoria's case. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcasts. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises.
Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.